would you turn with me please to the book of Ecclesiastes. It will be on the screen as well if you don't or if you're not familiar with the Bible. We always encourage you to bring one along if you can. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 10. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1 to 10. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening. Let your hands not be idle. If you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see, But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles from your body, for youth and vigour are meaningless. So that's it then, isn't it, young people? Your life is utterly meaningless. (laughs) Not. Okay, so we come to part 12 of Solomon. Give yourself to the Lord now and get the benefits later or reap the benefits. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 to 10. When COVID came upon us, this is relevant by the way, um, no one knew what it was, not really, and how bad it might be. And so we were told to lock down and isolate and keep away from each other. And understandably, fear gripped many of us. 18 months later or whatever, things have changed a lot. Restrictions have generally fallen away. We're now able to make our own risk assessment here in the UK. The Office of National Statistics, August 9th, 2021, estimated that those who have COVID antibodies through vaccine or having had the disease, is now in England 94.1%, Scotland 93.6%, Wales 92%, Northern Ireland 90.4%. That is better than most of us ever dreamed of, and all glory to God. Yet understandably, over these 18 months, fear can still paralyse some. And those who are especially vulnerable 
should be careful, of course. But generally, our whole society, and we hear this often in the news, have become more risk-averse in a general way and still find it hard to venture out for some. And it's easy to forget that everything in life involves risk. And the scientists have said this is as good as it gets. It's much better than when COVID first hit. And to some degree, we have to now learn to live with it. We've all heard that. Well, Solomon's message is to make the very most of life, acknowledging that life and living involves risks. Calculated risks, of course, not um, wantonness and without thinking. But if we remain afraid to do anything in life, We'll just exist rather than truly live. That's what this is about. So Solomon comes to this and he says, spend yourself in life and blessings will return to you. Verse 1 of uh, the uh, slightly earlier version of NIV, cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you'll find it again. In other words, Use whatever you have, time, money, energy, investment, concentration. Give it your all. Don't hold back. Make the very most of your life while you're down here. Work hard. Enjoy hard. Love hard. Play hard. Life's what you make it. Chinese philosopher once said, man only gets out what he puts in. Very true. And that's kind of life under the sun. Life lived, for most people, as if God doesn't exist. But there's a lot of wisdom in it, and that's what Solomon's trying to pull out here. So Solomon then starts getting specific. So he says, be generous to others while you can. Verse 2, give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster will come upon the land. In other words, be materially generous when you have Plenty, when you have enough, or slightly more than enough. Why? Because you don't know what's around the corner. You could end up with nothing and dependent on the generosity of others in the future. And we often don't think like that, do we? Perhaps we do now because of uh, what's been happening. But sometimes we could think, well, well, I'll always have a job, I'll always have a reasonable income, um, I'll always have my family, I've got money, it's not true of all of us of course, um, uh, things, I've got a house, I've got a comfortable life for some of us, and lockdown has taught us that you can't depend on any of that anymore. Many people, it doesn't really come into news enough I don't think, many people have lost their jobs and their income, furlough is about to be axed. For many, their comforts have been to cut right down. Health, obviously, has been an issue. Friends and family and many other freedoms we used to have were taken for granted back then, but they're not now. Because we realise now how quickly all of this can be snatched away. There's never been a time, certainly in my lifetime, when tomorrow is so uncertain. And Jesus, I think, expounds a bit with a parable what Solomon is saying here. It's very much related anyway. And it's when he tells the story of the dishonest, shrewd manager. Shrewd means clever. 
And this manager, his boss is about to give him the sack, says Jesus. So the manager in Luke 16, 4, it might be worth turning to that for a short time. Um, and he thinks, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He's thinking ahead, see. So he asks his clients how much they owe his master. And then he sees what it is and he tells them to alter the bill and reduce it in verse 5 to 7. Naughty boy. But his theory is that he, if he's generous now, that generosity might be returned later. So the dishonest manager wrote off some of their debt, so when he lost his job, those clients would remember his kindness. That was his thinking. It's still dodgy what he did, but his master seemed to think that the principle was actually a good thing, and he calls him shrewd, clever, forward planning. Luke 16, 8. The master commended the dishonest manager, not for being dishonest, because he's going to get the sack for that, but because he acted shrewdly. And then Jesus goes on to apply it. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than, all the people, than are the people of the light, that's Christians, with their own kind. So Jesus now explains the principle which I think Solomon is, to, well, which Solomon is talking about, whether Jesus is using that passage, I don't know. It's very likely. Uh, Luke 16, 9. I tell you, use worldly way, wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Strange thing to say, isn't it, for Jesus? You see, he's taking this principle of being generous to others while you can, because when it's gone, you'll need their generosity, their accommodation maybe, their shelter, their mercy, but then he takes it further and applies it more spiritually, speaking of the impact of his kingdom, the spiritual world. Because the con here's the context. If the world know how to secure their future by being clever and generous while they can, because when they lose it, others will welcome them. How much more the people of God, the people of light, should think of their spiritual welcome into the glory by what they do down here. God expects us to be trustworthy, unlike the dishonest manager, with the things he gives to us. Verse 10 of this Luke 16 passage. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. They've proved themselves. Whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. They've proved they can't be trusted. So if you'll prove trustworthy and generous and kind to others, the Lord will trust us with more of that responsibility. But if you're mean and tight and not prepared to give and not prepared to help others and not be merciful, then... He's not going to trust you with much more. But Jesus is also getting at this. How you use your worldly wealth shows you, tells you, how you will use your spiritual wealth. We often don't connect the two. Luke 16, 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? That's not money. <laughs> and if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Probably, verse 9, dwellings in eternity. 
Well, how do you use your spiritual wealth? Because, believe it or not, you could be absolutely skint monetarily, but spiritually you are loaded as a Christian. Absolutely minted, hallelujah. So how do you use this spiritual wealth? By sharing spiritually. Loving others like Jesus loves because you're filled up with Jesus' love for you. Being kind to others because he's kind to you. Praying for and helping and encouraging and supporting others just like Jesus does with you. Telling others about Jesus and his unsearchable riches, his eternal dwellings that are kept in store for those who trust in him. Tell him you've got one and ask him if they want one. Jesus said he's going away and he's reserved a mansion for us. I hope mine's bigger than yours. <laughs> How inappropriate. <laughs> Jesus did exactly this for you though, Christian. Talking about material giving, Paul is, and he links it to spiritual giving of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he gave up everything, the glory of heaven and all that came with it, yet for your sakes, he became poor. He exchanged all that, his majesty, his glory, and he had your sin and mine laid on him on the cross and all the condemnation that came with it. He became poor as poor. He, he lost all his spiritual riches on the cross so that you, through his poverty, poverty, might become rich with all the lavish blessings that come from his great sacrifice. So material generosity is linked to sacrificial giving of yourself to others and the blessings that come with it for others and they will come back to you. And here's the point that Jesus is talking. He's talking about um, what Solomon's talking about, about money and giving it out. Luke 16, 13, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he, will dis or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve both. Lydia Brownback says this, God made us in such a way that we are always conformed to what we focus on. That's so true, isn't it? Whatever you focus on is going to change you and influence you and transform you. Or not. Use money and things and self to bless others. And in that way you focus on what's coming. Not treasure down here. Treasure up there. Jesus says, Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal. It's just, it could be snatched away in a minute. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves don't, it, it's, it's bulletproof, it's steelproof, it's, it's got an eternal safe. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. What you do with your material wealth, you do with your spiritual wealth, and it shows that eternal riches are your investment, not your bank balance. Not your ISA.
not your bigger and better. Because everything else will soon be gone. We do not know what lies ahead. Be clever, be shrewd, be wise. Live now with the view to where you'll be later. Let's face it, eternity is knocking on the door of every single heart right now. And then Jesus, still Luke 16, then we move back. Jesus then goes on to tell what became of the tight, rich, comfortable man who never once showed mercy to the beggar in need. Same passage straight after all that, straight into that. Where did that man end up? Not in a mansion in heaven, but in a fire pit of hell. Why? Because he didn't live with an eye on eternity, neither did he invest in his eternal future. The rich farmer makes an even more salient point, tells the same story. He was into the bigger and better, which is what so many of us can get caught up with, including myself. He was into building safe, secure future for himself down here. There's nothing wrong with planning and trying that, but he assumed he'd be around to enjoy it. He had no intention of uh, including God in it or God's people. He was planning to keep it all for himself. And we read, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you've prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. It's exactly the point, isn't it? Be generous to others while you can. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And here's another one that's incredibly poignant at this time. Don't let ifs, buts, maybes and past failures hold you back in life. Let me say it again, I know it's written down. Don't let ifs, buts, maybes and past failures hold you back in life. Solomon's speaking immediately to a generally agricultural community of Israel, isn't he? Verse 3, if clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth, obviously. Whether a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Full clouds will eventually burst with heavy rain. It might ruin the crops. But whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Whoever worries about that happening will not get on with it. And to not sow seed because you're worried about whether your crop will be ruined later is utter madness. Because you don't know that. You can't control that. You just get on and sow, don't you? You don't look for reasons not to do what you need to do. We do, though, don't we? And in strong words, um, in strong winds, trees will fall and they'll land wherever they fall. That could land right on top of your crops. It could crush them and that's the end of the harvest. Or it could land the opposite way with no damage. Verse 4. Whoever watches the wind, worries all about that, will never plant. If you're always wondering whether the wind will blow a tree down on your crops, you'll never plant anything. See what I mean? You cannot live like that. You just can't. Life involves risks. Life is for living. 
Don't let fear hold you back. That is not God's will for you at all. And all the ifs and buts and maybes are out of your control. And sometimes we project, I've done it myself, into the future. And they almost become fact in my mind, which then paralyse me for doing something now. They're not fact. They're ifs and buts and maybes. They may well not happen. Or if they do, they're firmly in the hands of the God who knows and controls your future. Verse 5. As you do not know the path of the wind... Stop worrying about it. Or, it doesn't say that. Or, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb. You can't understand the word of God, the maker of all things. Leave it to him. It's got nothing to do with you. Just get on with it, is what he's saying. Move forward. Do what you're supposed to do. Live how you're supposed to live. Get out there, live, work, plan, build, enjoy whatever it is that God finds you and to do. But don't let fear stop you doing anything that you should be doing. Verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Maybe you're one who's lost your job. Maybe you've been on furlough and you find out that your job went before furlough, but you've just been sustained that way. Don't give up. Keep looking for another job. Maybe you're finding your job hard. I know some of you are at the moment. It's very, very hard. Trust the Lord. Don't give up. Look to him. I read this on Instagram. Um, Very good. She comes out with some really good stuff, but this really struck me. It doesn't matter who won't give you a key to that door. If God wants you to have it, you will have it, Hope Church. It doesn't matter who's trying to force that door closed on you. If God says it's going to be open, then it's going to be open. That's it. Leave the maker of all things to sort it out. It's none of our business. Isaiah 64.4 Since ancient times, no one has heard, no one ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. But he's not doing anything. Yes, he is. You just can't see it yet. Suddenly you'll be very surprised. But wait. Keep going, be patient, wait for his perfect time. Maybe some disaster has befalled you. Or maybe your loved ones. Keep living, keep helping, keep supporting, keep loving, keep praying. You're still here, you're still breathing. Here's a difficult one. Maybe you're laid on a bed of sickness and you don't see the point of anything anymore. You don't know why the Lord hasn't healed you or taken you home. Just one or the other, please. I feel like I'm waiting to die. But you know, by his grace and power, you can be a great witness for him in your sickness. You can, it's easy for me to say, but I, I'm not in that situation, but it's just true. You can give him glory by how you live with your illness now. 
I've often spoken to this person, but I think it's relevant. Someone I know very well was absolutely healthy, whole life ahead of her, just recently got married until she was 29, got a big shock. She very quickly developed crippling arthritis. She's wrapped with pain, immobility in every joint of her body. Every single joint is twisted, damaged beyond replace, shoulder replacements, knee replacements, two hip replacements, ankle replacements, you, you, you name it. The whole nation was praying for her healing, including people abroad, nothing. They called the elders and anointed the oil for the prayer of faith offered to make the sick person well, nothing. Tried absolutely everything, nothing. 35 years later, much worse. But God's glory shines from the inside out, 24-7. In pain, cheerful. A glorious witness to doctors and carers and neighbours. They know she's a believer. That's what sustains her. She does not recognise it. In the past, when I've used her anonymously as an example, she said, I don't recognise that person. Yes, but I do. And so, so do so many others. Why doesn't she recognise it? Because it's not in her. It's the Lord in her. That's the point. And more, more glory has been given to the Lord in the past 35 years of her life than could ever have been given in an instant healing that's soon forgotten. I'm not saying God doesn't heal, of course he does. But he has his ways. And I believe she's been used and glorified God far, far more through this ongoing affliction than she ever would have done had she had a healthy, comfortable life. It just depends. It's, God, it's whatever God chooses. Remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? 2 Corinthians 12.8 Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, once God has told him what's happening, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You see, knowing what he now knows, Paul says, I'm going to big this weakness up. I'm not going to dwell on it and focus on it, but the more I know my own weakness, the more Christ's power will come into me. And he goes further. He says that his weakness and Christ's power in him will transform him in his suffering. God's not going to take it away, so forget that now. I've got to live for his glory. Verse 10. That is why, he says, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, Paul, that's a tough thing to say, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. How can you delight in those things? Because there's a greater good. Because in his total weakness, he knows now that is the way to gain God's total power, that's why. And then, therefore, if that's the formula for me, I'll be weak and let him be strong. So that many will see Christ. More so than had I not had this affliction. Hallelujah. The, the wisdom of God. I once approached someone in this church who'd been going through terrible times and have done. Their whole family has for so long. And you just think, for goodness sake. 
suffered great grief and loss in this life. And she said to me, people ask why me? But I asked myself, why not me? (laughs) How'd you get there? That's Paul. The grace and power of God is beyond compare. We underestimate it. I was speaking at evangelistic thing about 10 years ago and there was there somebody who'd come along to the, to the meal and she'd lost her son. And not long after she'd lost her son, she was telling me she was in the local chippy waiting for her order and she noticed a man wearing a minister's collar. Right, I'm going to get him. And in her grief and anger, she said, why did God take my son, pastor? And he replied, why did God give you his? Don't stop living. And, and then she came to the meeting. It just, she couldn't shake it off. Don't stop living while you're still alive. Don't be paralysed by what went on before or even what might be happening right now. Or by ifs and buts and maybes. Things that are out of your control. That presents an opportunity right now to trust in the Lord who knows exactly what he's doing. There's your chance. Let God transform you and me and use you to transform others for his glory now. Not when things feel better. But something might go wrong. Supposing this or that, if but maybe. That's the point. Stuff happens. You can't live in fear and paralysis, stopping you doing what you can because of ifs and buts and maybes. That's not living, is it? That's existing, barely. Get a hold of yourself and me. Start living by his spirit again. Recognise what's going on. 2 Timothy 1.7 Recognise what's at your disposal. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-discipline. That's what we have and that's our witness to everyone else who don't have that so that they will have him. Suffering is quite a disaster and all sorts of other things are remarkable witnesses for the Christian if, 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 we, if we see what God is doing and allow him to. But it's definitely not fun. It's serious. And then in closing, just a few tiny things. Um, enjoy all that God gives, but trust him in the dark days because they will surely come. Light is sweet, verse 7. It pleases the eye to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Now, if you look at this, what his meaning is, that without the Lord, you'll make no sense of trouble or trial ahead. And if, you, if that's you, you will be unprepared for those dark days that we've just illustrated. So they will be meaningless in a life without God. Then he says, 
Go for it, make the most of youth, but know you'll give an account. Real sense of humour he has here, I think. There's a slight edge to it. Um, not, not being funny, funny, ha-ha, but just sort of using the point. Verse 9, be happy young man or young woman while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. <laughs> Enjoy yourself, you know, fill your bread. But remember, you can't really. <laughs> now what crazy advice. Follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see. Now we know biblically that that will just bring disaster the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But Solomon, I think, is being sarcastic, slightly tongue-in-cheek. Do everything you want, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Live your life to the full, but live it in the light of eternity. Verse 10, so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Now he's saying youth and vigor are meaningless because he's saying let the timely recollection in verse 9 of God's judgment and of the fleeting character of youth which will soon be gone which we're going to do next week so influence your conduct that you will refrain from acts that would lead you to future remorse and pain. I love the band London Grammar, who else? You've never heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. She has got a very, very rare voice, which uh, is almost unheard of. The lowest voice a female can have, but what range? And it, it's phenomenal. And it's very sad, her music, and, and, but very powerful. And uh, she sings a song, Maybe I'm Wasting My Young Years. And some of us really have. But if you have a chance not to waste your youth, grab it with both hands. Do not waste your young years because that is meaningless, as Solomon says. That is dangerous. That can be fatal. Why not? And we see it among our young people, don't we, and our students too. Channel your energies into serving God wherever you may be found. You've got more strength than I have or anybody else. Make your days count, especially before you get like me. Not necessarily bald, but old and infirm. And even preaching lies me on my back nowadays. To know there's a day of reward and accounting makes every single day burst with meaning. It directs your heart and it brings a godly filter to your eyes because you are, you are storing up for treasure, treasure in heaven where you're going, which is secure. Cast your bread upon the waters for after many days you will find it again. The one who serves God in his youth, her youth, and the one who continues to serve as they get older is never, ever the loser. Always the gainer. Amen. Let's just pray before we sing.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, he actually really did go through it himself and made some crazy choices. But he's looking back and he's bringing the good out of that. He's bringing the wisdom, the things he's learned out of that, and the things he learned while he was doing those things. And he, he, it does appear that he was restored back to you. And we pray, Lord, for anybody here today who is struggling and uh, either dripping further away, drifting further away, or in mediocre land, or just not into it anymore, and trying all the other things that, of the world, and they're wasting young energies, perhaps, on some of these pursuits. Lord, turn them around, turn it on its head, and bring them to channel all their energies, and all the passions, and all the desires of youth towards Jesus and serving him, because that will count a huge amount for the days to come. And thank you, Lord, for that scripture that says that although other people don't notice what we're doing for you, you always notice it, and you encourage us to keep on going and doing what we're doing. So encourage, Lord, we pray, and help others to be encouraged who are following you and who are full of your spirit and are wanting to do the right thing by you. you you're storing it all up for that day where you will lavish the crown of righteousness upon them. And that's the riches that will last forever. Turn our hearts towards you, Lord. Turn our eyes upon Jesus. Amen.